If you'll turn to 1 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, we continue in our Life of David series. The name of the sermon this morning is The God of All Possibilities. The God of All Possibilities. And we take it from this account that I'm about to read to you. And I want you to pay close attention to what transpires here in David's life. 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. If you'll remember, if you've been listening to the series, we've been, we talked last week that Keilah is near where David is hiding out in the high forest of Hareth up in the mountains not far from Keilah, which is a city in Judah. And David hears that the Philistines have attacked Keilah, which is probably only a few miles from where David is. And this is in David's homeland and especially in the, the tribe of Judah area. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, this is vastly different from the David that we have seen in the last few weeks looking at how he never asked the Lord anything. Now he's constantly asking the Lord what to do. That's a great place for the child of God to be. That's one of the reasons that God referred to David as a man after his own heart. You see, David is asking God, what do I do? And God says, go. David's men said unto him, this is the four to six hundred men that are now with him, behold, we be afraid here in Judah. Appreciate their honesty, don't you? <laughs> How much more will we be afraid then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? We're already on the run from Saul. And you're telling us to go over there and fight the Philistine army. There's only four, five, six hundred of us. And so David, being the humble and meek leader that he is, he inquires again. He doesn't say, be quiet, get over it. I'm going to do what I want to do. David wants to do what God wants to do. And David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines. There's only a few hundred of them, and there's tens of thousands of the Philistines. And they brought away their cattle, the Philistines' cattle. They smote the Philistines with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now you need to keep that in your memory bank. He just saved and delivered this entire city that's in his home country. And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, remember that's the only priest that survived the slaughter of the priests, that atrocity that Saul committed and murdered all of the priests except for one. And so Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David that he came down with an ephod in his hand. Now, stick that in your memory bank. I'm going to tell you what that is. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. So Saul finds out after David slaughters the Philistines, which was a huge advantage that David just gave to King Saul. It saved him from fighting a war. And Saul said, watch what Saul says. This man is so far out of the will of God. He is so off base. Saul is trying to kill David, the anointed. And look at what Saul says. God hath delivered him into mine hand. Is that true? That's the opposite of the truth. God has not delivered David into the hands of Saul. God is not going to deliver David into the hands of Saul. And Saul, in his twisted, sinful, hard-hearted thinking, he says, God has delivered him into my hands. 
Don't think for a second that your mind can't get twisted up and your heart hardened to think something that is the opposite of what is true. God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. God has not delivered David into the hand of Saul. But Saul thinks that. And Saul called all the people together to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men, and basically do the same thing to Keilah that he just did to the city of Nob. You remember that? He didn't just kill the 80 priests, murder the 80 priests. He went and wiped out the town of the priests, men, women, children, babies, and the animals. He did to Nob what God had called him to do to a wicked king that he did not do. You see how messed up he is. Over here, he doesn't do what God tells him to do, and God removes him from the throne. That's Saul. And then over here, Saul is in the wrong spirit and thinking the wrong way, and he murders and destroys an entire town and wipes out the lineage and the heritage of all of those men. And there's only one priest left, and that priest is with David. Saul calls the people to, to war to go and attack Keilah, which David just delivered. You see, listen, I cannot emphasize enough to you what happens to you when you get out of the will of God. You say things that are the most off-base things, and you accuse people of, the things, of things that are the most off-base things. And your mind does not work right. It works like the natural man. Saul is self-preservation here. He's preserving himself. See, he thinks he is. And watch verse 9. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. It was all a ruse. See, Saul says, we're going to come down and we're going to you know, help out you know, marching further against the Philistines. But the real secret mission here is to besiege Keilah until Keilah gives up David. David had just delivered Keilah. David knew that Saul practiced mischief. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. Just to give you a kind of a preliminary understanding of what the ephod is, the ephod was the breastplate that the Lord commanded to be made for the high priest to wear when he did his job, when he did his sacrificing. It was a breastplate, like a, think of armor, like a breastplate. Partly made out of metal, partly made out of material, and it had stones on it. And those stones, there were 12 stones on it, and it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what the ephod is. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. But just to give you some idea of what in the world they're talking about. So David says to the priest, the one priest that's left, he says, bring the ephod. Bring hither the ephod. And David, I know this sounds silly, but David asked the ephod. He says, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, in answer to David's questions to the ephod, the Lord speaks through the ephod, through the breastplate, and he says, Saul will come. Saul will come. Two questions David asked. Will Saul come down and will Keilah, who he just saved, will those men deliver me up to Saul? God said, Saul will come down. And David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me? And the Lord said, they will. <laughs> Don't think for a second that politics is something new. People jumping over here and over there and over there and back again. This is pure politics right here. David is the hero of Keilah because he's just delivered them. And now Keilah 
will just turn David right over to Saul. So they won't have their city wiped out. That's, a, that's allegiance right there, isn't it? That's a real party affiliation, isn't it? <laughs> that's some fickle people, is it not? So David asked two questions. Will Saul come down? God says, yes, he will. Will the people of Keilah deliver me up to Saul when he comes? God said, yes, they will. Let's read on. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbore to go forth. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold the phone. Brother Tim, are you telling me that God said something was going to happen and it didn't happen? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Because God is the God of all possibilities. Now, if you come away from this message today with a smaller view of God, then I have not presented it the way that God has laid it upon my heart. But if you come away with a magnified view of the sovereignty of God and the possibilities, all of the possibilities that God knows in His mind, then you'll see God magnified and you'll see yourself very small and you'll step out that door today thinking, I need to use my faith a little bit more. That's the purpose of this. God is the God of all possibilities. Now listen, there are certain things that without question are going to happen because God said so. This is not one of those situations. God did not decree that Saul would come down. God did not decree that the people of Keilah would give up David. Are y'all with me? He said it's a possibility. Perhaps one of the most important messages that you'll ever hear me preach. I think this might be one of the messages like the old Johnny Cash deal. You know, what's the last song you would sing before you died? And I can't remember what it was, but if somebody said, what's the last sermon you would preach before you died? This might be it. This might be in the top five of one of the last sermons I'd preach before I die. I hope that's not a prophecy that I'm about to die. But anyway, I want you to hear about the God of all possibilities because there's a mindset out there in the, in the general religious world that things can only happen one way. That is not what the Bible teaches. Now, when God says, my son is coming, when the fullness of time has come, and I send my son, and he'll be born of a virgin, and all of that, you know, the Lord will go and say, those things cannot be stopped. Those are decrees of God that will happen. When the Lord says, the last child of grace is born again by the Spirit of God, and all of that is done, the Lord's coming back. Nothing can prevent it. The Lord knows his time and his place and when that's going to happen. There's a, there are decrees of God that are going to happen. God decreed that there would be a king in the Old Testament who would be raised up and allow the people of Israel to go back out of captivity and go back and build Jerusalem again. That king's name was Cyrus. That was going to happen. God decrees, no man can stop it. Nebuchadnezzar, just ask him when you get to heaven. Nebuchadnezzar was cast out for seven years because of his pride. And he said, this is my kingdom that I have built. God had raised him up. God had suffered him to build that kingdom. And when he took it upon himself, God put him out to pasture, literally. And he was out in the fields like a wild beast with his fingernails grown out and his hair grown out. And he lost his mind. And when he came to himself, you know what he did? He praised the God of decrees. He said, the Lord, that none can stay his hand. No man can handle handle the Lord. And when the Lord says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so when the Lord comes back, he's coming back. If there are things that the Lord has said, I decree this is going to happen, then listen, that's not a possibility. That's a reality. But there's, you want to know where free will intersects with your life. It's in the God of all possibilities. 
There's all kinds of possibilities of where your life could go. Now listen to me. Brother Marlon and I were talking last week about some more scare tactics. You know, the scare tactics for salvation really ramp up around Halloween, don't they? You know, you can go to these horror places now and they'll, they'll scare you. Stuff I can't even really say from the pulpit the way they put it. But they'll scare you into thinking that if you don't do this, if you don't serve God, if you don't accept the Lord and follow the Lord, then you're going to wind up in a place like this, you know, and they're yelling at you, got all these masks and blood and stuff everywhere. Scare tactics are out there. I don't deal in scare tactics. We don't have to when it comes to salvation. It's not a scare tactic. It's a comfort tactic. There's nothing that can take you away from God. That's a decree of God. His people are decreed. They're graven in the palms of His hands. That's not a possibility of salvation. Your salvation is a reality. You'll never hear me scare anyone when it comes to eternal salvation. God has that in His hands. But maybe this is the closest I'll ever come to scaring you. It has nothing to do with eternal salvation. You don't have to scare anybody about eternal salvation. If you're worried about your eternal salvation, that means you are a child of God. If you're concerned about it, if you love the Lord, all those are proofs you are a child of God. And I'm here to give you the comforting message that God's got you. But when it comes to the possibilities in your life, I do want to scare you just a little bit. Don't think like Brother Tim thought at 15 years old that the world is just out there for me and I can do anything I want to do and go anywhere I want to be and, and rise to whatever height I want to rise to. I actually thought those silly things. And it wasn't because my mom and my dad taught me that. I thought I could do anything I want to do. I could go anywhere in the world. I could be anything I want to be. But I don't need to be anything that I want to be. You see, I want to be what God wants me to be. I want the best possibility for my life, which is in service to God. The Bible is filled with men and women who saw the possibilities in their life and they chose poorly. They didn't listen to wise counsel. They didn't follow along with godly people. They went along with the, with the world and they were destroyed in this life. Children of God who were in heaven today praising God and they, they lost all of the joy of their salvation. So understand what is put before us here. God in this circumstance is the God of all possibilities. David could have stayed. And what would have happened to David if he had stayed at Keilah? Saul would have come. That possibility would have been a reality. And the people of Keilah would have turned him over like Benedict Arnold from the Revolutionary War. They would have turned him over like Judas Iscariot did Jesus. So you know what David does? He's got good common sense, doesn't he? God says, Saul's coming. They'll turn you over. But you know what David does? He leaves. That's a wise man, isn't it? He gets out of Dodge. He leaves. He goes away. And you know what? Saul does not come and the people do not give him up. Now look, I know some of you are probably still thinking, well, what in the world is the ephod? Well, when I thought about the ephod, it was some kind of ocular thing, something that you could see. And maybe it was some kind of cloudy type, like stone or something. But basically, it was connected to, in the Word of God, which is often referred to as the Urim and the Thummim. And this was some type of stone, an ocular stone that was incorporated into the breastplate. It would look different ways when you turned it different ways. This is a terrible example. Terrible. It made me think of the old eight ball. Y'all remember those? They're so popular in the 80s. I thought, man, if I could just get me an eight ball, I'd know what to do with my life. You know, you say, who do I need to marry? And you shake that thing up and it, you know, say something like, I don't even remember what was on it. I only looked at a friend's once or twice. But you know how that thing was cloudy and you'd shake it and ask it a question and then if some silly triangular thing would pop up and tell you something and you go, oh, oh, this is prophetic. Let me tell you something. That's nothing but nonsense and close to witchcraft is what that is. This was not witchcraft. 
This was some strange device on the ephod that somebody discovered somehow that if you asked it a question, Urim and Thummim could mean right and wrong or yes or no or you're approved or you're disapproved. Okay, that's what Urim and Thummim in the basic the meaning. So David says, so what, however this worked with this ocular device, he says, will Saul come? And the answer from the ephod from God was yes. And then he said, will the people of Israel, will the people of Keilah give me up? And the, and the ephod responded through God directing it, says yes. Let me tell you something. You don't want something like that. That's just a confusing. You got something better than the ephod. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that's what the ephod is. And so David's inquiry now is something different than what he's been doing. He hadn't been asking God anything. Now he's constantly asking God. And listen, if you're struggling with the God of all possibilities, you need to go read Exodus 32 and 9. Because in Exodus 32 and 9 and 10, Moses goes up on the mountain. And what do the people do while Moses is up on the mountain? He's up there for 40 days. And they turn to false gods. And when God is through with Moses up on the mountain... All that's going on. God could have stopped at any time and said, all right, get back down there and fix this. But God continued to give the law. He gave all of that, that spiritual law to Moses. And then he says, all right, Moses, go down there. He says, your people down there are a stiff-necked and rebellious people. And he looks at Moses and he says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe them out. And I'm going to start over with you, Moses. That's a possibility right there. Y'all get that? And if it were not for the intercession of Moses... God would have wiped them out and started over. That's what the Lord said. Now, if you want to read something else, something else into that, you're just going to have to be a lot smarter than me and a lot smarter. You're going to be on theologian level. That's what God said. He said, they're stiff-necked, they're rebellious. I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start over with you, Moses, and deliverance will come through the new seed that I will bring up through you, Moses. And Moses says, Lord, please no, because the enemies will say that you brought these people out in the wilderness just to destroy them. And that will bring reproach to your name. And God says, okay, get down there and get on these people now. He said it was a possibility. God's a God of all possibilities. Recently, somebody was sharing with me the sad account of a 27-year-old young man who was highly educated, highly educated, and had the potential to be educated even more, extremely intelligent. But sadly, just down the road from where this young man lived, there was a wicked woman who was selling drugs, selling drugs, peddling death from her house. And somehow or another, this poor Young man, sometime before he was 27, happened to go by her door. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, brother? And happens to look and see the door is open and happens to go in there and begins to uh, talk with this woman and begins to get things from this woman and begins to take things that this woman gives him. And at three or four years goes by. And you know what? At 27 year old, years old, that young man died from an overdose. Now ask yourself the question, is that the best possibility for that young man's life? The parent shared with me, you know, he loved the Lord. He went to church, but he got hooked on something that was not the best possibility for his life. It was not God's will for him to die of an overdose. You see, he could have gone on and done many wonderful things in the name of the Lord, but he made a bad decision. He followed the wrong possibility for his life and he's dead. But don't worry about him. As a chosen child of God in the covenant of grace before the redemption of the world, you don't have to worry about his soul. God's got his soul. But he made shipwreck of his life while he was here because he got on drugs. Fill in the blank. All of God's people out there are, listen, it's not the wicked of the world that are miserable. It's God's people that are miserable. You say, well, if only I had an ephod. 
If only I had a Urim and a Thummim, I'd know what to do. You do have something like the ephod, but it's better. Listen, the ephod that you have is what I'm holding in my hand right here. Inquire of the Lord what is the best possibility for your life. What is the best type of spouse to marry? What is the best area for you to go into? What are your aptitudes if you're looking for a way to make a living? Ask the Lord. This is better than an ephod. Look, the ephod was just a little breastplate that would say yes or no. This has got page after page, word after word, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, and it's God's love letter to you, child of grace. And it's right here. The possibility, the best possibility of your life. You say, Brother Tim, you got to be kidding me. I got to go to school. I got to learn about the best possibility for my life. I got to go to college. I got to go get this job. I got to go do this. I got to go see the world. Let me tell you, the best possibility for anybody's life under the sound of my voice is contained in this book right here. Will you seek it? Will you ask it? Will you ask your ephod? And you will find the best possibility of your life. Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 7 and 17. I want you to understand that God is the God of all possibilities. Ecclesiastes 7 and 17, the wisest man aside from God that ever walked this earth, Solomon, he says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? People say you won't go before your time. Not according to the wisest man that ever lived besides Jesus Christ. You can die before your time. You can choose the wrong possibility for your life. You can go in the wrong direction for your life. And Solomon, who is much wiser than me or you, and he's less wise than God, but he's under the inspiration of God right here. He says you can die before your time. Be not over much wicked. We're all wicked at our base. We're all depraved in our nature. But don't embellish that wickedness. Don't give in to that wickedness. Don't follow your nature. Follow the Lord. Don't die before your time. That 27-year-old young man and countless others of God's children that I could name, they died before their time. Y'all hear me? (laughs) Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Look at verse 25. Solomon says, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands is bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken from her. Now look, we're not just here to pick on the strange woman, but you can flip-flop that to the strange man. Solomon said, I've been there. I tried this. And there are things that are more bitter than death in this life. And he described the strange woman. And and young ladies, you could say the same thing for the strange man. There's something worse than death. And it's when you embellish that possibility, you go the direction of nature. You say, I'm the exception. That's not going to happen to me. I tell you, child of grace, it will happen to you. And if I scare you a little bit in that area and you walk out of here today thinking, I need to use my faith more. I need to get in the Word of God more. Then I've done my job. Because the thing I want to see is your pastor. I want to see you in the best possibility for your life. And you know what that means, child of God? That means you'll be in the church of God. It means you'll be believing the truth of God. And it means you'll be serving the people of God. That's the best possibility for your life. Look, I can't sit here and tell you you need to be a doctor, lawyer, a dentist, a accountant, a farmer. I can't sit here and tell you that. But I can tell you that the best possibility for you finding out what that is is in service to God, seeking the best possibility for your life. God is the God of all possibilities. That's just a couple examples. We don't have time. Maybe we should. We don't have time to talk about Lot and Solomon and Samson and Jonah and Peter and Abraham and you. (laughs) 
Think about these people. Study these people. Did they choose the best possibilities for their life? Did they lay their lives down and say, Lord, show me what we need to be, what I need to be? Oh, child of grace, if, if we leave here today and you view yourself as something like that rag, ragtag band of, of outcasts out there, of outlaws that were trying to stay away from King Saul, if you see yourself grouped together in this group here as that type of ragtag group where you're just trying to stay away from the kings of this world and you're just trying to find the best possibility for your life, you need to listen to David. You need to listen to the super David, which is Jesus Christ. You need to listen to the ministers of God. Listen to the Spirit of God and you will find the best possibility for your life, which includes the best thing that you could possibly do as far as work goes, the best spouse that you could possibly find, or contentment whether you find a spouse or not. You want to find the best possibility of your life? Look to the Word of God. Listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to the ministers of God who love you and only want the best for you. Don't give in to the King Saul's of this world. What did King Saul do? What did King Saul do? He killed the priests. And that's what the King Saul's of this world want to do with you. Wants to kill the priesthood, the, the ministry in your life. Wants to kill the vision of God in your life so that you'll just be dangling out there and think, well, this is what I need to do or that's what I need to do. That's what the King Saul's of this world want is for you to have no vision for your life other than the vision of the world, which will always disappoint you. Sitting here today, whatever doors God opened for you to be here, it was not decreed that you were going to be here. Y'all hear me? It was a possibility. It was a possibility that you would be here. That you would be a believer of the truth. That you would be coming and worshiping like you are on a week-to-week -week basis. It was a possibility that God laid before you. And I believe by faith, you followed that possibility. Does that make sense? It wasn't an absolute decree of God that you had no brain and like a robot, you just came walking in. God pricked your heart with the Spirit and said, listen to this. Look at this. Maybe listen to what Brother Tim is preaching. Maybe listen to what Brother Luke has said. And next thing you know, you're pursuing that possibility in your life. Are y'all with me? You could lose this possibility just as quick as you got it. If you don't take care of it. You say, well, Brother Tim, I thought that's your position. <laughs> My position, Brother Luke's position, is to feed <laughs> Feed the flock of God. Guide the flock of God. Direct the flock of God. Help the flock of God. But your position is to love one another. Lay down your life for each other or you lose this possibility. This possibility will go away if you don't take care of it. I'm going to do my best to do my part because I've tasted the best possibility for my life and I don't want to lose the taste of it. It tastes good. Have you tasted the best possibility for your life? If you have, don't lose the taste of it. Don't lose a hold of it. Hold on to it, child of grace. You know how you hold on to it? You listen to the Word of God. You follow the Spirit of God. You stay with the people of God. And you serve one another and love one another. You see? That is the lifeblood of the church of God. That's what keeps the church of God together. Oh, I don't agree. You know, maybe I'm an Auburn fan. Maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm an Alabama fan. Maybe I'm a Tennessee fan. Those things don't keep us together, do they? They divide us. Or somebody's a Democrat. Somebody's a Republican. Somebody's independent. Somebody's Green Party. Somebody likes this color. Somebody likes that. Those things don't keep us together. Charity, love keeps us together. The lifeblood of the church of God is the love of God laying our lives down one for another. That's what David's doing right here for his people. That's what your Savior did for you at Calvary. Listen, when I graduated from Sanford, I was ready to bust Nashville wide open. I had me a pack of songs in my pack, 
Figured it was going to be the greatest thing that anybody ever heard. I was ready to go, but some wise people in my life said, look, son, you know, we know you're interested in law school. Why don't you get this degree out of your way? And I'm like, but I'm ready to bust it wide open. Nashville or bust. I'm called to sing and write. What a fool. So I listen at least once, right, mom? At least once I listen. Go on and get your degree. Fast forward two and a half years. I can get out early. I've taken enough classes and studied enough. Yeah, I know y'all can't believe that, but I did. I studied enough to where I could get out in December and go bust Nashville wide open two and a half years later. But I was kind of tired. I was tired of school and all the stuff that had been going on for the last six and a half years. I think I'm just going to cruise, you know. I'm not making this up now. I was so far ahead that I actually took an undergraduate class my last year of law school, my last semester of law school. I took an undergraduate class. I thought, well, I'll just cruise on out. I can move to Nashville in May. You know what happened to me in that last semester? Because I listened to my parents and because I didn't follow that lust to go on, there's a sweet person sitting back here to my right that I met in that last semester. It changed my life by the grace of God. If I had not accepted the possibility of what my parents laid in front of me and stayed for those three years, if I had listened to myself and followed the possibility of going on and foregoing that last semester, I never would have met Sister Tracy. At least in not that way. Maybe God would have been gracious and intervened another way. But I met her in that last semester. And that changed my life. And I was just waiting. What am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? I tell you, child of grace, you may wait and you may wait. But if you're following the path of the spirit, of the word, of the church, of the kingdom, of serving God's people, just keep on waiting. Good things are coming. If there's one or more here that sees their presence in the kingdom of God as the best possibility for their life, I can tell you that is right. That is true. You come and make that known as we sing some song.